This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Good morning. Well, good morning and welcome to Tech Talk right here on High FM. And uh, bad news that the chilly weather is causing havoc with our power grid. Not surprising. But uh, without power, our tech is just a lot of expensive boxes lying around. Well, let's hope none of that comes to pass. Let's hope we all stay powered up for the foreseeable future. It's been pretty good up to now, I must admit, since the havoc that ensued in, I think it was early, late Feb, early March. Well, things have been pretty stable since then. So uh, good on you to all of those that took care of that. And let's hope we stay with power for the next little while. But interesting news coming out all over the show. As I've always said, this time of the year, moving in, just a quick disclaimer here, moving into the sort of July-August holiday period in in the Northern Hemisphere, Europe and America pretty much shut down, and all the big announcements around tech are left for the, for the autumn uh, period, which is starting September, and there'll be new iPhones and new uh, Huawei phones and new Samsung phones and all sorts of stuff coming out by then. But right now, it's gone a little quiet. However, our own reporting season has been going on full swing, and Vodacom announced this morning some good results for the year. Actually, contextually, they are good. I mean, the company is doing well. They're making solid uh, solid performances. That's with, That actually was their words. Um, and they had a roundabout 1.2% year-on-year decline in service revenue in South Africa. So it was good news and bad news, but it was news nonetheless. Essentially, they they had said that South Africa was going to be tough, mostly because the economy in South Africa is really a little bit, love this word, moribund. In other words, it's not going anywhere. If anything, it's floating gently downwards, which is not great for anybody. Um, they also got a little bit hit by the whole data must fall, and we'll talk a lot about that a little bit later. I just want to give a little bit of context. It's become hot again, the whole story around free, uh, Spectrum, uh, the whole story around the cost of data. There's a massive populist um, sort of rant going on in the in the press around how the uh, sort of rent-seeking, blood-sucking networks are just coining it, making tons of profits and squeezing the poor people, essentially an anti-poor type a narrative that's running around, which actually couldn't be further from the truth because the poor or the low-income earners are a massive, massive source of revenue for the networks. And uh, you can only squeeze that one so hard. Anyway, back to what's going on with Vodacom. So their total group revenue for the entire Vodacom group, as you know, they're part of Vodafone, but r- that rose by 4.2% which is around about 1.9% in, in constant RAND terms, to around about $21.5 billion. And Vodacom in South Africa added 608,000 customers, of which the vast majority are prepaid users, although they did say that they grew their consumer base overall by an 8.9% growth, which is pretty, pretty good considering. But their their revenue slide has been essentially put down to the fact that they've had to cut the costs of their out-of-bundle data rates, which they've done. Also, those new data regulations that were introduced earlier this year around data not um, expiring and all the rest of that stuff has hit their bottom line. And also, they've switched their roaming agreement from Celsi to Telcom, Telcom being a lot smaller, around about 4 or 5 million users as opposed to the 20 million users that Celsi have. And that's um, cut their 
their revenues as well as their massive growth, almost a 7 8% growth in the sheer amount of data. So all of those things um, sort of led to a flattening of profits and a slight decline in South Africa. But internationally, well, internationally in Africa, they've grown really well. So I think it's it's a good performance considering what's going on. And the big news around spectrum allocation and everything could give them a nice little bump and some serious cost reductions going forward. But we'll talk a little bit about that straight after this. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Now, um, just something that (laughs) – actually, this is breaking, breaking, breaking news. Essentially, um, I've got this email right now, Microsoft Office. Now, Microsoft Office has become the de facto business standard in terms of Word, Excel, PowerPoint, all the rest. Most of us have – migrated across. Very few people go out and buy a box set of Microsoft Office. Most people buy it on an annual basis. Most businesses buy it on an annual basis. And along with that comes roundabout, well not roundabout, exactly a terabyte of cloud storage um, through OneDrive, as well as all the other features of updating for the year, etc., etc. Well, as I've mentioned on the show, Microsoft have opened up local data centers where these, um, you know, which the Azure platform runs on, and these are, are right here, one in Pretoria, one in Johannesburg, and one in Cape Town. And what that's done, it's brought two things to the country. One, your data never leaves the country. At one stage, that data always used to sit in Ireland or Germany or America or wherever. We never actually knew, depended on how it worked. But now there are two data centers, which back one backs up the other. So if Cape Town goes down, Joburg stays up, etc., etc. And I think there's also even more backup outside of the country, so your, your stuff is always safe. So that might actually break the data leaving the country setup. But anyway, having data centers on the continent also drops another massive barrier, and that is latency. Right now, just by the speed of light, the time it takes your data to get to a data center in America and back is up to 360 milliseconds, sometimes closer to half a second before you actually get a response. So we've all seen this. We're trying to save a document, and it's sort of taking forever, and then all of a sudden it's done. Well, none of that anymore. Microsoft have announced that the full Office 365 experience is now hosted locally on the local data centers, and that definitely will make a big difference to the speed of saving documents, the speed of retrieving documents. And the the other thing that's happened, which is quite a big deal, is that most modern laptops are now running SSDs. SSDs are solid-state drives. They make your laptops far faster. They make your notebooks, whatever that is, you know, even your convertible tablets, much, much quicker, much better than using those old spinning hard drives. The the only hassle is that right now large SSDs are still expensive. So you're getting a ton of laptops running with 128 gig to 256 gig of um, main storage, which is not bad. But the old spinning drives used to give you around about up to a terabyte, even sometimes a little more than that. And the hassle with that is you can't store a ton of data, but using a very fast um storage in the cloud, like OneDrive, you can now offload all the files that you don't use all the time from your laptop or desktop or whatever and keep them in the cloud. And because of the response of hosting them locally, it makes a huge, huge difference. So 
in-country data residency, as they call it, for all their core customer data really does make it more private, more secure, and it meets all the requirements of the Poppy Act, which is interesting, and certainly um, will help in terms of getting your data, getting it quickly. So something that Microsoft has been working on for a while, and I'm really, really pleased that they finally introduced it to South Africa, and uh, we can now be assured that our data is hosted locally and saved locally. Now, this is just the coolest piece of tech news that I've seen for a long time, except for one minor detail that the website doesn't seem to be wanting to work. Oh, there we go. Uh, the Tokyo, they've just announced that the Tokyo 2020 Olympic medals will be made from recycled technology. So I'd, I'd read about this before and I wasn't entirely, entirely sure how they'd do this. But what they've done is they've taken all sorts of technology, recycle all the old technology and recycled it and made a really interesting range of of medals and um, prizes built from this amazing use of technology. And I think that's just the coolest thing because Japan is absolutely one of the most high-tech countries you could ever imagine. And they collected round about 30.3 kilograms of gold, 4,100 100 kilograms of silver and 2,700 kilograms of bronze, all from recycled technology, which just goes to show there is gold in your laptop, quite a bit of gold for that matter, and quite a lot of other precious metals. So instead of using any older metals, what they did is use all the recycled gold, silver, and and, and um other and bronze out of all these various things and created the medals. And I must tell you, they look really, really cool. So Google it. Go and check it out there. Um, I'm, I found it on the, on the HTXT website and it's really cool. You can see all the medals have been made out of recycled technology, uh, waste, which is, I just think, an absolutely brilliant and cool way to reuse all those old transistor radios and God knows what else they had floating around after all these years. Now on uh, uh, the note of brand new technology, um, Apple have uh, launched their a whole new range of MacBooks. Now they launched them last week, or I think it was actually the week before. Sorry, I will get my facts absolutely straight. But they are now available in South Africa. And essentially they did a refresh of both, both the MacBook Air range, which is pretty much a year old, and the new MacBook and the MacBook Pro range. Unfortunately, some people have asked me, have they replaced the new the keyboards? Because there's been quite a lot of keyboard issues around stuff getting stuck under the keys and the so-called butterfly keyboard failing. And Apple have been pretty good at replacing those. So if you have if you have that problem, just take it into your local uh, Mac dealer, and they'll probably probably replace the keyboard straight away. Um, but the new 13-inch MacBook Air range, what they've done is they've dropped the price slightly. Um, they've kept pretty much everything else the same, except they've made the screen a true color screen. So the screen itself adjusts to the, the ambient light in the room and gives you the best quality color. Um, and you can get it in a 128 or 256 gigabyte uh uh, storage setup. As I was saying, you do actually need to do stuff. And the local South African pricing is 29.99 for the 128 gig SSD and 22.99 for the 250 gig SSD. Um, and 
from what I've read, I haven't seen them yet. I will try to get my hands on them and, and have a good play. What they've done is essentially maintained the look and feel, but improved the internal performance and made things a little bit cheaper. Um, the MacBook Pro range has changed quite a lot. They've also simplified it, cleaned it up a lot, and also 128 gig and 256. But what happened, what's happened is they've brought the prices fairly close to the MacBook Air range. But the touch bar, that's the top little touch bar, is now standard across the entire range. And that one's selling for 22999 or 25999. But here's what's very interesting. If you're in the market for a MacBook Pro or a MacBook Air and you're not terribly fussed by having the absolute latest, latest technology, the exact same device with the same storage is up to 4,000 Rand off. So you can pick up a MacBook Air for around about 17999, last year's model, or 20999, which is also last year's model, and the same goes for the MacBook Pro. You can get one without a touch bar for 19999 and uh, the 256 gig with touch bar at 23999. So good bargains to be had if you're prepared to buy 2018 MacBook Pros, but if you must have the cutting edge, well, then you can go for the 2019 MacBook Pro and Air, which is available right now from Apple dealers pretty much across the country. And we'll take another quick break for our sponsors, and then I'll be back with some interesting discussions around spectrum and the cost of data and hopefully give you all the ammunition to need you need to talk about it intelligently over the dinner table i'll be back straight after this this is tech talk with stephen ambrose on 101.9 high fm well, welcome back. And this is our normal Tech Talk Cafe segment where I try my best to get some interesting people to interview into the studio. But uh, holidays, everyone's running around. So haven't been able to do it this week. So I thought I'd go into a little bit of an explanation of what's going on. Many of you might have heard on the news, read in the various uh, online sites about Spectrum. Spectrum is the lifeblood of the mobile and pretty much the radio and television industry. We all broadcast or transmit or use radio spectrum in order to get our devices to work, to, you know, get the data to flow, to come, you know, at you with these wonderful <coughs> radio programs such as Tech Talk, and, of course, to broadcast analog and even digital television. So spectrum is a key sort of asset in the telecommunication space, and it has been a huge issue in South Africa since the days of the first spectrum allocations, which were back in the early, in the sort of early 90s when mobile first came out. At that time, obviously, the two operators that were licensed, that's MTN and Vodacom, <coughs> were given sufficient spectrum to roll out 2G uh, telecommunications, which was the standard, the GSMA 2G standard at the time, and they had more than enough to do what they anticipated. And I'll never forget the predictions that within a year or two, or I think the five-year goal, was to have 200,000 people using mobile phones in South Africa. Well, I think they smashed that in the first couple of months. They did not even for one second anticipate um, how quickly mobile communications would grow. And there were well over a million subscribers within, as I said, a couple of months. And the net effect of that, using the old technology, the 2G, which ultimately then became the the edge or the G 
data connectivity, which then was upgraded to 3G, tended to use up all the spectrum that was available across uh, everything that had been allocated. Obviously, the world evolved, technology evolved, the networks became, and the 2G rolled into 3G, rolled into 4G, and as those those standards, those those telecommunication standards evolved and improved and changed, their use of spectrum certainly became more and more efficient, and as we move into the 5G world, that again has taken another huge jump in terms of efficiency. Just for example, on a current 4G spectrum, if you've got a 1,000 people using 5G technology, you can probably get closer to 10 to 20,000 people on the same amount or even more, an order of magnitude, almost up to 100,000 connections on the same spectrum. But that's a discussion for another day. The challenge for all the networks in South Africa is that all the spectrum has not been allocated, and there's been huge debates around what they call high-demand spectrum, which is the 2.3, 3.6, and other frequency megahertz we're talking about, spectrums. There's been huge discussion about it. There's been white papers, green papers, policy papers, but we've also had a dozen or more um, telecommunication ministers and another huge event which should have happened in 2015, which was the full switching off of analog television, which yielded what is called the digital dividend in the 800 and 900 space, 7, 8 and 900 megahertz space, um, should have been available for telecommunications and other uses, such as digital television, digital radio, never actually happened. And here we sit, moving very close to 2020, and guess what? No spectrum allocation has been has been done as yet. But interestingly, in our uh, State of the Nation, uh, President Cyril Ramaphosa announced that it is imminent. Within the next month, spectrum allocation would be done. That expired last week, Tuesday. And our Minister of Telecommunications also said that spectrum would be done and allocated very, very shortly, again promised by last Friday. Well, the good news is that um, she did announce that the spectrum plan has been finalized. We don't know what it looks like yet. And it's going through the processes before it can be announced to the public, which should be any day now. And the benefit of spectrum is multifold. And this is where I mentioned earlier that there's been this huge popular sort of anti-big company, anti-mobile network populist movement saying that they're just absolutely profiteering. They've got an anti-poor uh, stance. The, obviously, the rich and those that can afford it are getting cheaper and better and bigger data bundles. And the poor where are being excluded from the digital uh, world and they're having to pay enormous amounts of money. Now, unfortunately, there is some truth in that. There's no question that out-of-bundle data is now in the region of a rand uh, a megabyte, which is pretty extortionate in terms of cost. Also, um, the, the lower-cost bundles tend to be quite expensive, you know, in terms of global benchmarking. The average price of data in South Africa, which, again, unfortunately, <laughs> averages tend to take, they always get swayed by the big numbers. So if you sell a ton of low-priced big bundle uh, packages, it tends to swamp the number of smaller, more higher-priced bundles, and averages do just that. The average price of data in South Africa is not globally uncompetitive. So this whole myth around data in South Africa being super 
expensive and the network's making massive profits. As I, as I said earlier, uh, Vodacom have made reasonable profits. They're certainly not huge or extortionate by any standards globally and locally, even though they are uh, doing really well by by any standards in the country. But the cost of data is not extortionate. What is a challenge and is a problem, and the Competition Commission is starting to get involved, which I think is probably a huge mistake, because one thing for sure, the mobile industry in this country has done remarkable things. I think let's talk about that first. The first most remarkable thing is that most of South Africa has around about 80 to 90% 4G coverage of the current population, which by any standard globally and certainly by any standard in Africa, where many countries don't even have 4G as yet, um, is pretty good going. So if you have a 4G device, you can pretty much get a signal between 80 and 90% of the country where the population lives. Obviously out in the rural Areas where it's very, very sparsely populated, you may not. But generally, I must say that whenever I've traveled, Vodacom has had a 4G signal pretty much everywhere, with Celsius uh, MTN coming in a, a close second. The other um, thing that we really have to accept in this country is that the quality of our networks, and I know this is a, a hot topic, I'll probably get a thousand SMSs moaning about the quality of the networks and dropped calls and all the rest, um, but the quality of the networks in South Africa are absolutely world-class. In fact, better than some countries that I've been to in Europe, certainly um, better than some places in America. But overall, the quality and the the spread of the networks in South Africa is huge. Also, the one thing that most people don't seem to understand is that there is a certain amount of capacity that a network can handle, and that capacity is paid for. And the only way to ex- to expand that capacity massively is to spend even more money, which makes things more difficult. So here we've got a situation where um, data growth has been pretty much exponential. It's growing every year massively. Uh, the networks have been forced to extend their data uh, or rather extend the the times in which data expires so they have to plan for even greater capacity. And all of this costs huge money. And the networks themselves have been spending between 30 and 40 billion rand a year on network expansion for, for the last many, many years. And that's pretty much what they're going to be spending going forward. All of that money in any case, doesn't means that they need a reasonable return on their money. So the whole extortionate thing really doesn't hold out. And unfortunately, the biggest problem that they've got right now is that with around about 120 million connections, if you add them all up, that means almost every human being in South Africa has at least two cellular connections. With that number of connections, with the growth of data, with the growth of the telecommunications industry into this IoT world and all that other good stuff, they are simply running out of capacity. There's been a ton of what they call refarming of spectrum. So the voice spectrum, which is running in the 900, 1800, and 2100 bands, have been utilized or changed or modified or fiddled with in order to give greater capacity to the fast-growing data networks because it's they're not mutually exclusive. They don't run separately. They run on the same spectrum. They both use more and more spectrum. And, in fact, MTN, along with uh, Ericsson, have done some remarkable things at utilizing limited spectrum to try to keep voice quality very high. And I'm, or, and I'm sure most of us have experienced that underwater garbled sound that you get when you try to connect to someone on voice. And simply put, that means that there's 
congestion on the network, there's not enough spectrum, and they keep cutting back on the quality of the call in order to try to keep people connected as much as possible. And that's simply and completely limited to spectrum. The only way to increase capacity on a network that has limited spectrum is to build more towers, move them closer together, allow them, allow, um, it's called densification of the network and allow the network to get more and more dense in order to handle more and more connections, more and more signals, more and more cap- and create more capacity. Whereas if they were allocated all the spectrum that they've been promised for so many years, they'd be able to simply increase the capacity of each tower and allow it to use more spectrum, allocate more connections, pass greater amounts of data, and essentially by use the current network infrastructure that they've got without putting massively expensive, somewhere between 20 and 100,000 U.S. dollars per tower every time they do it. And that excludes the running costs, the diesel for the generators, the electricity, um, <clears throat> the batteries that unfortunately keep getting stolen. And also, they've got to pay people to put these sites up. Everybody's moaning about having an antenna in their backyard. And uh, they ha- they, I've heard from the networks that they are being charged pretty much extortionate rates to put antennas on top of buildings because it's prime real estate and uh, they, they have to do it. They just don't have a choice. I'm sure all of us have also seen these street pole antennas that are floating around and have to pay the council for that as well. So <clears throat> all of these costs add up and create enormous difficulty for the networks to expand and to move on. So the allocation of spectrum should, and I'm, I'm absolutely pinning my credentials to the radio station, I predict that should the uh, – hear the caveats, which they always are – If the government allocates sufficient high-demand spectrum and sufficient spectrum for the networks to move into 5G and more advanced technologies really quickly over the next couple of weeks or whenever they do it, shortly as they promised, within the space of a year, I predict that the cost of data, the cost of data across all packages, all bundles from very low to very high, no matter what the intervention around low, you know, low capacity or, or small bundles are, will drop by around 40%. And there are a lot of ways that the networks can play that. One, as an accountant, no one likes to cut their revenue. So they're not going to instantly um, halve the cost of the bundles. But what they will do, and MTN is actually doing it right now, is they're giving you two-for-one bundle specials or, you know, in certain areas at certain times, a lot of personalization going on. Vodacom do it with a for you products. But essentially, they will cut the effective cost of data by round about 40% in the next year, just because they will have the ability and the capacity to grow their network extremely cost effectively. And right now, to replace 4G or 3G network equipment with 4G network equipment or 5G network equipment actually makes the cost per bit even cheaper, the cost of delivering the service even cheaper. So the networks will be in a position to drop their data costs considerably. And that is almost 100% controlled by the government, by their lack of foresight, their lack of, of moving this high demand spectrum out and giving it to the various networks. We also have not heard a little peep about the 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 switch to digital terrestrial te- television and that 
should have happened in 2015. Globally, the world was supposed to go digital television then. South Africa blew past that like there was no tomorrow. And they have said that by 2020, I think, June or July 2020, which is a year from now, again, scary, that South Africa's change to digital terrestrial television would happen. So all of those things are just having a massive impact on one of the few industries that I maintain has done remarkable things for the country. Vodacom, MTN, Celsi, um, and, and, and Telcom being the big boys in the, in the mobile telecommunication space. Um, have really done remarkable things at bringing cutting-edge, world-leading technologies and data connectivity and smart devices and all the other benefits of having a massive mobile network to this country in an incredibly competitive way. I don't believe there's much collusion between them. I believe they're all trying to maximize their profits, which every business has a sort of inherent right to do so. But to simply say that they are... Uh, you know, profiteering and anti-poor just is such an oversimplification. And simply mandating that they need to cut their costs could probably backfire by putting up the price of data for most people and not really cutting it by much for lower people. Rather, give them the spectrum they need to operate correctly. And then secondly, and most importantly, uh, allow the market to compete and make sure that the playing field is fair the hassle really is that you cannot be a small player in the telecommunications market. Just the backbone of the core network, the number of connections, the number of towers, the sheer scale of the operation needed to run a cost-effective, um, highly you know, efficient mobile network takes billions of rands. Not millions, but literally Billions of man, of rands. And this is not something that can be easily split up, parceled out and given to small companies, which is highly unfortunate. But the benefits of having those networks in any country, the benefits of having the latest technology, the benefits coming from the move to 5G technology with all the high speed, low latency and, 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 and network slicing and so much other technology that can be facilitated through this can create an enormous economic boon for everybody, for every company, efficiencies, costs, opportunities to create new platforms, new systems, new ways of operating are just endless. So get that right. And if the government does get that right, if we do get the spectrum that the networks need allocated in a fair and reasonable way, I believe that the networks and the telecommunication operators will respond, rain being one of them. They're actually going 5G in the next couple of month or two in South Africa, which is very interesting. But that will bring enormous benefit to South Africa on, 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 on absolutely every level. The amount of streaming that will go on will improve absolutely everything that you look at in terms of how you operate your business, the types of of businesses that can operate within the country, from telemedicine to remote monitoring of devices to remote cars, you name it. All of this could be facilitated through a cost-effective, highly efficient mobile network. And I believe our networks currently are well-placed and are socially responsible enough to understand what needs to be done, especially in a developmental context in this country. So um, let's hope and see. Let's talk again in the next couple of weeks and see if we can actually find out what is going on 
with the spectrum allocation, and if it is done right, I believe there could be a massive little mini-boom in the telecommunications industry in the next couple of months, which is good for absolutely everybody. And on that note, we're going to have a quick break for the sponsors, and I'll be back with my Gadget of the Week and a couple of other hints and tips around staying fit and getting on the road. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Well, welcome back. And um, before we get into my Gadget of the Week, which is a really interesting little device from Fitbit, I have a quick message from one of our sponsors. We are known as the people of the book. We are literally connoisseurs, consumers of words and prose, sharers of ideas. In short, we are the readers. Hi FM, I know we're a radio station, but we're starting a book club. So would you like to be one of Hi FM's book club readers? You'll receive a book every month to review on the radio for our listening community. It's social, it's fun, it's mentally enlightening, and reading is always a good thing. <clears throat> we are looking for people with a wide range of reading topics and genres. Get in touch if you want to get involved in this, I think, brilliant initiative. Email books at com and let us know if you're keen to get involved in the whole People of the Book and Books initiative. Now, moving on to <clears throat> something that's, you know, staying fit, keeping healthy, not the not the hottest topic in the deepest part of winter with all these massive cold fronts. I mean, I went running at 9 degrees or 7 degrees. I can't begin to tell you how chilly it was on Sunday. But it was for a good reason. I mentioned um, last week that Fitbit, MyRun, and Discovery have teamed up. Fitbit are now officially the sponsors of the of the MyRun program alongside um, Discovery. And the benefit of that is really that you get your points it's it's great promotion for all. They'll help support an excellent initiative. I mean, the one thing I liked about the My Run, they've got a two and a half k and a five k, so you can take a nice two and a half k brisk stroll. You can take a five k sprint if you're keen. It's really it's good fun. It's social, and it's a great way to start your Sunday morning. Um, I generally do the park run, and that's on a Saturday morning, and that's only a five k. They only have the option of a 5K park run walk or park run run or whatever you want to do. And it's still great fun and great and it's social. But I've had a lot of requests from people. What is the best activity tracker for that? And there, there is so many in the market. Samsung do an, an incredible range of fitness trackers, smartwatches. Of Obviously, the Apple smartwatch does an incredibly good job of fitness tracking, advising, heart rate monitoring, Huawei have a range of fitness trackers, and there's a host of other, let's call them lesser-known brands uh, in that space, low-cost, but do some heart rate tracking, do some step counting. The challenge in many cases, if you're on Discovery or you're on one of the the the, the, um, the plans where you need to actually link those devices, you'll probably have to stick to the better ones. When you get into the more professional, uh, you know, pro sportsman, the the Garmin's and the Suntos and those sort of trackers are a whole different league. They're much more expensive, but they're much more professional. They tend to be waterproof, much more informative. They give you VO2 maxes and all sorts of other assorted um, different sort of information and training and tracking, which is literally on another league. But... Um, for the rest of us who just, you know, weekend warriors, we want to stay fit, we want to go to gym, do a little bit of running, track what we're walking, track 
you know, what we're eating and just generally use technology to help us stay fit, stay strong and stay healthy, then the Fitbit range certainly slots in there unbelievably well. They've been around a long while. I think they've been the most successful of the sort of popular mid-range trackers and fitness bands uh, over the last couple of years. And their latest range has certainly proved to be pretty innovative, actually very accurate from a heart rate and sensor point of view, and my sense, super comfortable. And now there's a huge range from around about 900 rand all the way up to 5,000 rand depending on your needs. But the latest one that I've been playing with now is the Versa Lite. Now, the Versa launched last year, and it was a full-on it, – it grew out of the Pebble watch, which um, Fitbit acquired because they quietly shut down and Fitbit acquired all their technology. And it looks a lot like an Apple watch in some ways. It's sort of an ovalish, chamfered aluminium come, uh, The comes in a couple of colors, comes in a blue, it comes in a purple, it comes in a silver. But um, very interesting, cool, simple, sleek-looking device with a decent screen, which is really, really nice, um, <clears throat> some silicon bands in multiple colors, so you can keep it funky and keep it interesting, and you can swap the bands out, which is quite cool. So you can have a band for sport, you can have a, 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 a fabric band if you want it to look a little smarter, and, you know, just make it match your um, match your your outfit of the day, whatever it is that you want. But what I found having a single watch, smart type watch fitness tracker is it keeps you from looking like a complete geek, which I do because I've got one on the left and one on the right and I've always got different ones. But it's just slick and simple and easy. And what they've done on the VersaLite is more about what they've left out. The first thing they've left out, it doesn't have memory for music. I must say, though, on the Versa, which is the full-priced one, I've, it's always struggled trying to get the music on and then connect it to your Bluetooth. It's just a pain. So I don't think that's a big one. They've also removed the altimeter, so it doesn't track steps, which is – well, it tracks steps, but it doesn't count floors when you, you run. It doesn't track your height, which is – your height above ground. So, again, a small thing, and a pro, more serious sportsman might want that, but for the most of us, it makes very little difference. The last thing they've left, well, there's two other things they've left out. They've left out Wi-Fi. So when you're at home using the normal Versa, when you're trying to update your Versa, it uses Wi-Fi to connect to the Internet, and it's pretty quick and pretty easy. The Versa Lite only has Bluetooth, so it has to have your phone near you. It's still got apps. You still use those apps like Weather and a whole lot of other little apps which are fine. The problem is they operate through Bluetooth to your phone. So one, slightly slower than Wi-Fi. Two, your phone has to be with you. Whereas if you're in a Wi-Fi area, you can wander around your house, leave your phone on your desk, and everything will just connect, up, update, sync, and everything without you having to have the phone nearby. Bluetooth, 10 meters, 15 meters tops. In fact, 10 meters is about right to have your phone nearby to operate the Versa. So updates took a little longer little bit little bit slower, but not a huge big huge deal, but bear that in mind. The last thing that's been left off is essentially the gyros gyroscope, and that means that when you're swimming, for example, and this is waterproof, it will not count your laps in the pool, but it will track your heart rate and count calories so that's what's different, and for that you save round about, depending on where you buy it, about a thousand rand. So it's about just under three grand for the Versa, and um, 
well, no, just under 4,000 rand for the full Versa and just under 3,000 rand from about 2.6 to 2.9, depending on where you buy it. I've seen it at different prices on the web. So as usual, always check around. But for that price, I think they've made a really smart choice of what it can do. It's got the same excellent heart rate monitor. It's got the, ex- the same excellent automatic um, sports monitor. So when you go for a brisk walk, it, it notice, it, you don't have to do anything. It, it picks it up. You go for a run. picks up you've started. It picks up you've stopped and tracks it pretty much automatically. It also has full other activity tracking. So if you go to gym, you can swipe on the screen. You can pick a gym program, and it'll do it. If you go running on a treadmill, you can do the same thing. And all that works really well. It does not have the coaching of the Versa, the more full, full-blown Versa. But that's a paid subscription, which I honestly don't think is worth it, and I've never, nearly, never really had about that. It also has slightly better battery life, and it is really easy to see indoors and outdoors. So if you're looking for a, a smartwatch, you hook it up to your computer, um, to your phone, I mean, and you get all the notifications. You can see who's calling you. You can't answer on the watch, unlike a more expensive smartwatch, but you certainly can not have to take your phone out. You can just see if someone's calling and you know, ignore the call from that point of view. You can read your SMSs, your WhatsApps. You can set that all up through the app. The last thing I must mention is that the Fitbit app is excellent. The sleep monitoring and information is really good. You can track your calories. It's got an amazing calorie database, and that's linked to your activity. So you can set a goal. It'll tell you how many calories you've got left for the day based on the on the foods that you've eaten. It's just an excellent way to monitor your health, monitor your weight, and that applies to all the Fitbits. They all use the same app. But the app itself is really one of the best in terms of monitoring and knowing what you're doing. It gives you your, your resting heart rate. It gives you all the information you need to stay healthy and to stay fit. So now's a good time. They say summer bodies are built in winter. So if you want to get fit and you want to get healthy, I think get on the road and you're looking for a good uh, moderately priced and very functional device, the Fitbit Versa Lite is certainly recommended. If you want more functionality for a little bit more, you get NFC, you get a whole lot of, you get Fitbit Pay, you get a whole lot of other little bits and pieces. But generally, this is great for the casual sportsman who just wants to stay on top of things and know exactly what they're doing. Now, we'll be back with a couple of apps and my last little update, which is all about Huawei, is straight after this. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Well, welcome back and all you Huawei fans out there. I had a very interesting meeting yesterday at Huawei's offices where they actually launched a brand new device. But I'll tell you a little bit about that in a few minutes. But essentially, I had an interesting chat to their general manager in South Africa just to get a sense of where this is all going. As unfortunately we all know that due to a ban by the USA, um, there has been a lot of uncertainty around Huawei, around their products and services, and what is going forward. Well, President Trump announced a few weeks ago that he's relaxing that ban in some ways. Um, he's going to allow Huawei to buy American technology as long as it has no national security risk and allow people like Google, um, Intel, uh, and all these guys to sell their technology to Huawei so that smartphones that they produce and they're number two producer, they were number two producer in the world, I think they still are for the moment, um, could continue to be made and supported. Well, it 
couple of things came out of the conversation. One, they anticipate, and the meetings are going on right now in Washington, that all things will go back to normal in terms of buying the technologies they need on their smartphones. They will continue to have access to Google, and they'll continue to be able to supply their devices with Google. And on that note, they released a brand new Why. Good heavens, I forget these numbers, but I'll remember in one second. They released a new Y-series phone yesterday with a fabulous little pop-up selfie camera, which is really, really cool. And they are announcing the launch of the Mate 30 Pro in September um, at a big event, apparently, in Munich in Germany. And that device will be one of the first new devices post the so-called ban from um, from America. And that device will run... Google, the latest version of Google, Google 9, and will be available sometime in early October, pretty much worldwide. So it seems that things have settled down. The business is getting back to usual. It will obviously take a little bit of time just to get things sort of sorted, but there's no question that uh, Huawei are back, and they are definitely going to be selling a whole lot of new new products, and new services going forward. The one really interesting tidbit, which was very important to 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 find out about, is that they are going to continue in the world of uncertainty with their own operating system. That will be announced a lot more information at their sort of developer conference, which is held in August. It's happening, I think, in Shenzhen in China in August. And at that conference, they will announce all the details around their own operating system. But the key issue here around that is that the reason people are comfortable with Google is Google Maps, all the services, all the apps, absolutely everything that surrounds the ecosystem that surrounds. It's very easy. Uh, it's very easy for, for an operator like Huawei or manufacturer like Huawei to use Google because they give them absolutely access to everything. And that was the biggest problem. Obviously, their own operating system, their own ecosystem is going to take some time to develop. But I think uh, from a prudent point of view, they are going to continue on that path. They have their own app store. They have a whole lot of the elements of the ecosystem. But they now need to talk to all the smaller companies that make an ecosystem vibrant and exciting and useful more than anything. The WhatsApps of this world, WhatsApp's not small anymore, but they were at one point. But the smaller guys that really make uh, an app store interesting and all the little games and everything available outside of the Google ecosystem. So don't expect anything on that space on a commercial basis for a while. Now, the phone that they announced for South Africa is really interesting. It's called the Huawei Y9 Prime 2019. And it is a massive, uh, very good-looking device, Six point, nearly 6.5-inch screen, but it has a couple of really interesting things. The screen has no front camera. The front camera pops out of the top when you turn into selfie mode. In less than a second, it pops up and has... And because a lot of people are going to say, oh, yes, that's going to break. Well, I actually personally held one on the table and hung a 10 kilo weight from the camera. They reckon it's safe up to 15 kilos and left it there for a while. And it just didn't break. And in order that uh, has one other really cool feature, if you accidentally drop the camera when the little selfie camera popped out of the top, as the accelerometer in the, the, the phone notices that the phone's dropping, and we did, we dropped it on the floor a few times, the camera pops back in, so it's super safe. And in the unlikely event, they even opened up a bottle of beer with the, the camera to show how strong it is, which is pretty cool. But what is interesting is that just in case that camera f- breaks for any reason, accidental damage, the Y9 Prime comes with a two-year warranty, but 
If the camera itself breaks for any other reason than simply manufacturing fault, they will replace one camera in two years for up to 799 for free, just to make sure that you're absolutely uh, confident in the fact that there's this cute, cute little mechanical device that pops out of the top. It's a great party trick, I must tell you. The rest of the, the phone I will go into much more detail when I get my hands on one to review, but it looks very competitive. It's going to sell for around about 5,300 Rand cash and at very competitive prices across most other products with 128 gig of RAM and 4 gig of, uh, of, of ROM, that storage, and 4 gig of RAM with a really good quality screen and all the latest Google and triple cameras on the back and you name it. It's a super competitive product at a super competitive price. So it looks like Huawei are coming back strong. They've been quite aggressive and um, it appears you never know with the Trump administration what will happen next, but it appears that um, they've come to an accommodation and they will be able to continue using Google and obtaining all the necessary technology they want. And so stay tuned. I think Huawei are settling back down and uh, you owners of Huawei can relax. And if you're looking at Huawei, it remains a pretty good option. So on that note, I'm afraid we've now really run out of time. I'll be back next week with more gizmos, gadgets and news. Until then, this is Stephen Ambrose on Tech Talk right here on High FM.